So as David mentioned, we, we're talking about revival and renewal and what it means to revive the brokenhearted people. Uh, specifically, we've been studying the book of Nehemiah. Uh, and so just a few short weeks ago, we re rebooted this study from last fall. Uh, we looked at the first ch seven chapters last fall, and now we've been spending these last three and now this fourth week looking at the last six chapters in that book. Uh, in that first series that we looked at, uh, we saw how that, uh, well, the series title, as you can see on the screen, was Rebuild, Restoring the Broken. And we saw how that Nehemiah was heartbroken for the report that he had received from the city of Jerusalem. Uh, and in a span of just 52 days, Nehemiah led the people of Judah and the city, city of Jerusalem to rebuild the wall that surrounded Jerusalem. It was an amazing uh, accomplishment. They faced opposition uh, from within and without through that uh, rebuilding process, but they persevered in the work and they brought it to a completion, thus restoring the honor of this holy city of Jerusalem. Well, when we started this current series, which is Renew, Restoring, or Reviving the Broken, when we started that just three weeks ago, uh, we found Ezra and Nehemiah and all the people had gathered together there at the wall for the dedication of the wall. And so at that dedication, they opened up the scroll of the law of Moses, what we would call the Pentateuch or the Torah or the first five books of the Bible, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. And so they started reading through this. And, and I can just imagine they're, they're hearing all about their family history because this was their family. These were their ancestors. They're hearing all about their family history. And then they get to the part in Exodus where God has delivered them from slavery. And then God lays out for them his expectations for their lives. And they were heartbroken. Because they realized that they have not been living up to the standard that God had set for them. They began to weep. They began to, to just mourn their, their situation. And then they get to the end of the Pentateuch, to that last book called Deuteronomy, which the, the name of that book uh, comes from Deuteronomos, which is the second giving of the law. So basically Deuteronomy is reiterating what he's already said in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. And so they get to Deuteronomy and then somewhere around chapter 30, they've heard all of this about how God is going to judge them and scatter them if they do not obey. But next, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he says, but if you'll repent, I'll bring you back home. Some of you may have noticed our scroll that's been sitting on the table this week, uh, this past month. Yeah, most of you don't make your way up 
this far in the room, so you might not know what's on it. Um, it just looks like some scribbles for a lot of you. In fact, I've shown it to some. They said, isn't that upside down? I was like, no, it's not. Um, this is the Hebrew text from Deuteronomy chapters 29, 30, and 31. This is what Ezra would have been reading to the people at that time. Telling them, if you will repent, God promised to bring you back. Do you realize they were the scattered people? They had been living in Babylon for 70 years and God brought them back. They were the fulfillment of that promise in Deuteronomy chapter 30. That just excites me to think about having been there and realizing I'm the fulfillment of this promise of God. What an amazing thing. And so what did they do? They, they dedicated themselves to the reading of the word. They obeyed the word and immediately had the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths because they found out that was supposed to happen. And I'm not going to re-preach re the whole series, so I need to move on. So after the Feast of Booths, they gathered back together again and they once again listened to the word being read and they responded with confessions of sins. And they were so committed to obeying the law of God and God's commands that they made a written covenant and they signed it, they sealed it so that it would be a binding document between them and God. And so last week we learned that the people of Judah demonstrated their full commitment to the Lord by being willing to uproot their families and move from their homes out in the country in the villages and move into the city so that this newly completed city wall and city of Jerusalem could be inhabited. Because for a city to be powerful, it needed people inside. And so they also committed themselves to, to praising and worshiping God as well as serving him in whatever way he needed them to serve. And we looked at that last week. So in response to the example of the people of Judah, I challenged you last week to make a commitment to worship and serve the Lord however he may lead you to do so here in our church. Many of you have responded to that appeal. You've reached out and you said, I want to serve in this way. I want, to, I want to help with this area of ministry. I want to do this or that. But there are still several of you that need to respond, that you've not yet done that. And so I want to, I want to ask you this morning to, to be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy City, Holy Spirit try to speak if I can be sensitive to the Holy Spirit this morning to see where he's leading you in how you should serve I pray that that will be the case so as we've considered this concept of revival or renewal we've noted that renewal requires consecration that was the first sermon four weeks ago that idea of consecration is being separated to God or giving yourself completely belonging to God. Renewal requires consecration. We also saw that it requires confession. Confession is that process of agreeing with God that what is happening in my life is sinful. 
Agreeing with God that my attitudes, my actions, the words that I'm saying, the thoughts that I'm thinking are sinful. And I'm letting God know that I agree with him when I confess to him. And then we also noted that renewal will result in commitment that we just talked about in the sermon last Sunday. So today, as we complete our study in Nehemiah, we're going to see that renewal also requires consistency. Consistency. In other words, doing something in the same way over a long period of time. Eugene Peterson wrote a book that I absolutely love and I even more love the title of the book. It's a book about discipleship and he titled the book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's a great definition of what our Christian walk should be. It should be a long obedience in the same direction. I highly recommend that book if you are looking for something to read. So this morning, we're going to focus on that concept, and that is consistency in our walk with God and how that renewal requires consistency. And this is why I've mentioned 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, I think, in every sermon this past month. Do you remember what it says? It says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed. Do you remember? Day by day. Day by day, our inner self is being renewed. That's consistency. That's a long obedience in the same direction. But what does consistency in our daily walk actually look like? Well, I believe that Nehemiah addresses this issue in his final words about the situation and the people of Jerusalem. So we're going to begin by reading in chapter 13, the first few verses there. And um, then as we walk through each of these points, we're going to read each section of scripture as we go, as we contemplate its implications for our lives. So if you would, look at Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 1, and we will read these final thoughts from Nehemiah. It says, on that day, they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, for they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the the curse into a blessing. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. What do we see here? We see once again, they're reading the law of God. And once again, when they hear what God's word had to say, they obey. Consistency in reading and obeying the word of God is essential to experience revival and renewal in your life. Once again, they're reading, they're obeying. You know, we need to remember that the public reading of God's word was the only access that the common people had to scripture. 
They didn't have their own scrolls that they carried back and forth to the temple. That didn't exist. They had to go to the temple and hear the prophet or hear the priest reading God's word. They had to listen carefully. You know, sometimes I wonder, has our access to scripture somehow reduced our respect and reduced our desire for the word? As I was sitting um, at my desk thinking about these things, I looked around me and I thought, how many copies of the Bible do I have within arm's reach? I don't know about you, but you know, think about it for a minute. How many physical copies of the Bible do you own, do you have? And I started looking around my desk and I said, well, there's one, two. Oh, I forgot about one. I was about to tell you there were five, but I think there are six. <laughs> six copies of God's word that when I'm sitting at my desk, I could just reach out and I could grab it. Different translations, different formats, different study Bibles, six copies of a physical Bible. And you say, well, that's not too many, Brother Wade. I have about that many. I took my other 20 home. That's not a joke. I have a shelf this wide that's full just of Bibles. And yet, we have all these Bibles, and, and how often do we actually open it and spend time in it? And that doesn't even count all the access that you have through your cellular device. We have access to God's Word 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so sometimes I wonder... Has that somehow reduced our respect? Has it somehow reduced our desire to spend time with it? I mean, I, I have spent time in developing countries where someone may only have a New Testament. They don't even have a full Bible. They only have a New Testament. And that is the most precious thing in the world to them because that is their access to hear the voice of God. Have we cheapened? Eh, we haven't cheapened, but have we diminished our desire because we always have access? I wonder. You see, folks, we have no excuse for not reading the Bible. Even if we cannot see to read the words of the text. We can have our cell phones or computers read it to us. We have no excuse. We have no excuse. There are countless options available to us. I've come to the conclusion, and, and maybe you, you think I've, I've talked about this too much, too, you know, for too many weeks in a row, but I am just simply preaching the book of Nehemiah right now. So uh, blame God if, if it comes up too much. But, you know, I've, I've come to a conclusion that if we do not have the habit of consistently reading God's word, I believe it is because we do not want to hear what God has to say. 
If you're not in the Word, I believe it's because deep in your heart, you just don't want to know what God has to say. So essentially we're saying, not only do I not want to hear, but for sure I don't want to obey. Folks, renewal requires consistency in reading and obeying God's word. The second thing that I notice is that renewal re requires consistency in accountability. Now, the majority of chapter 13 focuses on this issue of accountability in one way or another. Accountability refers to the process of allowing other people to speak into your life, into various aspects of your life. You have someone who is keeping you on the straight and narrow. They're holding you accountable in these areas of your life. I love all the scripture that we find in the New Testament about why or you know encouragement to be held accountable one to another. James chapter 5 tells us to confess our sins one to another. How often do we do that one? <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 5 says, therefore encourage one another and build each other up. Ephesians 5, 21 tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Hebrews 10, 24 says to stir one another up to love and good works. And by the way, if I'm going through these too fast, you can find them on the YouVersion app. I've got them in the notes, all these references. Finally, in Galatians 6, 1, verses 1 and 2 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We have a biblical responsibility to hold one another accountable for living our lives according to God's word. That's a sampling. I could keep going, but those are some of the best. You see, the Bible's filled with teaching about accountability. And here in Nehemiah chapter 13, we see several instances where accountability was needed in order to correct a situation that they experienced. So I want us to look at each one of these. And just as a side note quickly, realize that after the rebuilding of the wall, Nehemiah had to return back to Babylon because he was the cupbearer to the king. But, and he left uh, Hanani in, uh, as the governor there in Jerusalem and Judah. And so 12 years later, he came back to Jerusalem and found some of these things going on. And this is an accounting of some of the things that he dealt with once he got back. Let's look at Nehemiah 13, beginning in verse 4. It says, now before this, in other words, before this time, before all this that's going on, he said, before this, Eliashib the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, and who was related to Tobiah, prepared for Tobiah a large chamber where they had previously put the grain offering, the frankincense, the vessels, 
and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil, which were given by commandment to the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, and the contributions for the priest. While this was taking place, I was not in Jerusalem. He said, I wasn't there. I didn't know this was going on. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I went to the king, and after some time, I asked leave of the king and came to Jerusalem and then discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah, preparing for him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And I was very angry, he said. And I threw all the household furniture of Tobiah out of the chamber. Then I gave orders and they cleansed the chamber. And I brought back there the vessels of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. So what's going on here? Do you remember who Tobiah is? Has it been too long since we, we studied this last fall? Do you remember? There were a few guys that caused the biggest problem and the most grief to Nehemiah. Number one ringleader, his name was Sanballat. His sidekick, Tobiah. Tobiah. He was the Ammonite that's mentioned several times in chapters uh, 2 through 7. And so when Nehemiah returned, he found Tobiah living in the temple. Number one, he wasn't even an Israelite. Number two, if he had been an Israelite, he wouldn't be allowed to live in the temple. But he was an Ammonite. And they just read here in Nehemiah 13, no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. And here was this Ammonite living in the temple. So as a result of this, oh, sorry, uh, skipping ahead in my notes. Probably should do that for time, but not for the sake of the content. So while Nehemiah was away, this is what was happening. So when he returned, Nehemiah threw him out and cleansed these rooms in the temple. He needed to correct this situation. So disobedience here brought about discipline. Now, if we continue reading, oh, let's go on and... Uh, read verses 10 through 14 it says i also found out that the portions of the levites had not been given to them so that the levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field so i confronted the officials and i and i said why is the house of god forsaken and i gathered them together and set them in their sections then all Judah brought the tithes of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and Pedaiah of the Levites. And as their assistant, Hunan, and the son of Zakur, son of Mataniah. For they were considered reliable, and their duty was to distribute to their brothers." Remember me, O oh my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. So the next thing that we see here that needed accountability, but because it was lacking, was this uh, 
disregard for the needs of the Levites. They neglected the Levites, and therefore this disregard brought about a confrontation. Do you remember that the priest and the Levites were designated to serve in the temple? They did not receive an inheritance of property when all of the land was divided out, but the Levites were, were given certain cities, but also given the responsibility of serving in the temple. And they were supposed to be supported by the other 11 tribes. It actually worked quite perfectly because if every tribe gave 10% and there were 11 tribes, then the Levites had all that they needed. It was a perfect plan of God. In fact, they got just a little bit more than they needed, hopefully. But as a result of this negligence, the Levites had abandoned their work. And you know, there's part of me that it's like, I can't blame them. They've got to feed their families. And if they were not being supported as in the way that God had said that they should be supported, then they returned to their fields to be able to feed their families. So Nehemiah confronted the officials about this. And then the people, when confronted, obeyed. They brought their tithes in and provided for the Levites as God's law had commanded. And then Nehemiah appointed people to handle the administration of this. And so that enabled the Levites to return and serve in the temple as God had planned. But you know what? There was yet another issue that we find here. Look at chapter 13, verse 15. Nehemiah goes on and he says, In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they had brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Now skip to 17. He says, Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, What is this evil thing that you're doing? Profaning the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers act in this way? And did not God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Now you're bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. The same thing that had brought about the exile of the people and the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, now they are once again doing those same things. They were disrespecting the law of God. And disrespect brings disaster. The people of Judah showed complete disrespect for the Sabbath laws, which I won't go into, but they were very restrictive. You were to do no work because God worked for six days and then rested on the Sabbath. It was an example to us that we too should do this. They were not to do certain things on the Sabbath. They totally disrespected those laws. And so Nehemiah reminded them of the disaster that God brought upon them before when they had disrespected the Sabbath day. So Nehemiah handled this situation, this problem, with some very simple practical steps. You know, sometimes when we're dealing with an issue in our lives, if we will just change a few simple practical things, it can solve the problem very well. 
So what did Nehemiah do? Well, he closed the city gate just before the Sabbath began. He closed the gate and did not open it back up until the Sabbath was over. And so what did that do? Well, it kept those merchants from being able to bring in all of their, their goods, their produce, their products. If they can't get into the city to sell it because the gates are closed, then that precludes the problem, doesn't it? And, and the other thing that he did is he also placed loyal men at each of one of those gates. And there were a bunch of them. He placed people at each one of those gates so the gates didn't happen to get open and let somebody in. You see, simple, practical things can solve our problems of disobedience if we just think through it. If you have an issue with drinking and getting drunk, you know, there's a, there's a pretty good solution to that. Stay away from bars is one good solution. I used to be able to stay, say stay away from liquor stores, but unfortunately grocery stores sell it now. But if you don't buy it, you don't have that problem, right? The same way, uh, if you have issues with what you're looking at on your computer or on your cell phone, there are ways to protect you, simple steps that you can keep yourself accountable to anyone and everyone, well, not everyone, anyone you want to keep you accountable, they can keep you accountable for what you're looking at. It's simple. And most of them are free. If you're not obeying, it's because you don't want to obey. It was a simple solution. And, but he did add one more thing to that. The merchants kept coming even though the gates were closed and they just kind of parked outside the, the city gates. And so Nehemiah said, look, uh, if you keep coming, we're going to go and lay hands on you. That's what scripture says. Um, so, so there was a little more teeth to that. Uh, but, you know, um, sometimes you just got to do what you got to do to avoid living in sinful behavior. So he solved that problem. But there was still another problem. Let's look at verses 23 through 28. He said, In those days I also saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons, or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was beloved by his God. And God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, Foreign women made him, made even him to sin. Shall we then listen to you and do all this great evil and act treacherously against our God by marrying foreign women? And then he 
finishes, or let me read one more verse. It says, and one of the sons of Jehoiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was the son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore I chased him from me. Wow. The son-in-law of the greatest enemy that Nehemiah faced in this whole process, Sanballat the Horonite, the grandson of the high priest is who we're talking about. You see, folks, God had commanded them not to intermarry with the people of the land which they were to dispossess. But they ignored God's command and they chose debauchery over obedience. Again, it was so bad that the high priest's grandson married the daughter of Sanballat. Nehemiah described this as they have desecrated the priesthood. And so that's why I labeled this section as debauchery brings desecration. You see, God had commanded them to consecrate themselves unto him. Remember, we talked about that in chapter 8. Consecrate means to make holy, to set apart, to set yourselves apart to God, belonging to God. But desecrate means to make unholy, to treat it shamefully or to treat it with disrespect. And so they had taken what God said to consecrate and they had desecrated it instead. Folks, the problem with intermarrying with these people was not an issue of racism. It wasn't just an issue of ethnicity and that we don't like other ethnic groups. This was a commingling of beliefs. We call it syncretism. It's where you try to take a belief of this religion and this religion and this religion and you pull them all together and you have some sort of synchristic idea of what it requires to be reconciled to God. But the Bible's clear. Jesus said, I am the way, truth, and the life, and no man will come unto the Father except through me. We can't take bits and pieces from all these other belief systems. All roads do not lead to God. Only one way. And Jesus is that way. In 2 Corinthians 6.14, the Bible clearly teaches that we are to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We're going to talk about that, uh, I believe, in the month of November. Because we're getting ready to start a study through the the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, Prayerfully, I hope that happens next week. That's the plan. Y'all pray for us as we get that and the recharge books out and get your community group studies ready because community groups start back next Sunday as well. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We We are not to intermarry with those who do not believe the way the Bible teaches it was such a blessing yesterday to, to watch Hannah and Eli stand here on this stage and commit themselves one to another. 
knowing that both of those young people are committed to the Lord. Folks, marriage is hard. And if you didn't get to be here for it, John, John addressed some of those issues yesterday in a very succinct manner, and it was great. Uh, marriage is hard. If you're not both serving the Lord in the same way, with the same passion, the same commitment, um, marriage is almost impossible. It's hard even when you're both committed to the Lord. We need young people, young adults, kids that might be out there listening. You need to fall in love with someone who loves the Lord more than you. Amen? There's nothing more important. No other decision besides following Christ that you can make that's any more important than that. So in these final words of Nehemiah, he is recounting the different ways in which he acted to keep the people of Judah accountable for the way that they lived their lives, trying to spur them on in order to live for God. But folks, when left, in, when left alone, without any positive influences in our lives, our lives will quickly deteriorate into disobedience, disregard, disrespect, and debauchery. And that is the reason it is so important to experience Christian community. To have that community in your Christian walk. That's why it's so important that you gather together with others and you hold one another accountable. This is why we need to confess our sins one to another, encourage one another, build one another up, Stir one another up to love and good works. Submit to one another. Restore one another. And carry one another's burdens. When we consistently hold one another accountable, it's then that we will also experience consistency in our daily walk. And that's the last point I want us to look at this morning, is consistency in our daily walk. You see at the end of this book, Nehemiah summarizes these successes in leading the people of Judah. We've just looked at some of those. He said, I got rid of the foreign influences. I got rid of the pagan influences. I got the Levites back to serving in the temple. I made sure that people brought in tithes and offerings to be able to support the Levites and the priest, so that they could function properly. Day by day, year after year, Nehemiah worked hard to consistently follow the Lord's commands and lead the people of Judah to obey his commands as well. This that we see in this book is a picture of consistency. But I want you to notice something that Nehemiah said multiple times here in this chapter, in chapter 13. You see, in verse 14, he said, remember me, oh my God. Remember me concerning what I've done. That, you know, and do not wipe, this, wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. Remember me, oh God, 
verse 22, he said, Remember this also in my favor, O my God, and spare me according to the greatness of your steadfast love. Verse 29, we did not read a few minutes ago. He says again, remember them, O oh my God, because they have desecrated the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. And then here in verse 31, the last words of the book. Remember me, O oh my God, for good. Remember me, O oh God, remember me. He cried out over and over again. This morning I want to ask you, at the end of your life, what will you be remembered for? When your life comes to an end, in what way will you be remembered? Folks, it is never too late to change the trajectory of your life. Never too late. And you may be looking at me and say, oh, Brother Wade, you're 49 years old. You don't know what it's like to be an old man. And then some of you are like, Brother Wade, you're so old, I don't know if you've got time to change. So, you know. It's never too late, y'all. I, I regularly listen to a various podcasts, and I was listening to a podcast interview with a church planting leader uh, just a few weeks ago. His name is Sam Douglas. And um, Brother Douglas was talking about how God has an objective for every person. For the life of every person, everyone who's ever trusted in Jesus Christ, he said, God has an objective for your life. And he shared a story of a man that he led to the Lord. And I started to type this out, and I've got it all written out here, and I was like, man, you just need to hear Brother Sam share this story. So it's about two and a half minutes I want you to listen as he shares the story about a man that he led to the Lord. I, I led a 62-year-old insurance salesman in Corpus Christi to the Lord. And uh, he was very wealthy, safaris, world cruises. And he trusted Christ at 62. He had been an altar boy in the Catholic Church. And that's about the only church experience he had. And at 62, God gloriously saved him. And within, and, and within a, a month of his salvation, I began meeting with him weekly. And I shared my life with him. He said, man. And he came back after getting the concept. And he started praying, Lord, show me. I, I'm, about, I'm 62. I don't know how much time I got left. Here was his life objective. He wanted to make, his whole thing was to make up for lost time because he had wasted 62 years. And I mean, he wasted a big time. He had money, did everything, and left his wife and five kids and went with the mistress. And I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. He'd lived life on the wall side to the fullest, had big buck. And out of that, though, he said, I'm going to share Christ and take his money to heaven with me. But he said, I asking God to let me see my five children 
that don't even care for their daddy because he left their mama and drug drug the name to the mud and everything. I want to I want to be reconciled to my five kids. And he said, I want to share the gospel with them. And I don't, I want to live to see them come to know Jesus. Wow. If I can see my five kids come to know Jesus, man, it'll be worth it. I did his funeral about three years ago. And that, by the way, every day he was a jogger. He loved to jog. He jogged on the seawall of Corpus Christi. And I promise you, and I say this, every time I met with him weekly, and he led about three people a week to the Lord. He's led more. Pe- he led more people to the Lord than the three of us all together. I mean, three a week. He would lead them to Christ, and he did. He lived to be about eighty-six, I think it was. And man, he made up for lost time. And and uh, his daughter was the last holdout, uh, but she trusted Christ about six months before he died. And he called me to his bedside. He had cancer. And he said, Pastor, I'm ready to go to heaven. My daughter <laughs> just trusted Christ back in March. And I'm ready to see Jesus. Amen. Amen. Love awesome. it. I love it. Huge. That's awesome. At the end of your life, what will you be remembered for? What is your life objective? You know, I don't know what God is saying to your heart right now, but the challenge today is quite simple. If you want to experience spiritual renewal in your life, you need consistency. Consistent Bible study, consistent accountability, and a consistent walk with the Lord. What's he asking you to do today to make this happen in your life? Will you do it? If you say, yes, I'll do it, Brother Wade. Well, then what are you going to do? And when are you going to do it? That's what he's asking of you today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to share your word once again this morning. Lord, I thank you uh, for the events surrounding the life of Nehemiah and for the opportunity to study these things and and to learn what it is that you want us to learn for our personal lives from this from these events Lord help us not to just hear this story and say oh that was good but Lord help us to take these things to heart to listen to your spirit so that we can know what it is that you want us to do, Father. Lord, I praise you for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray these things. Amen.